Hello from the Financial Times in London, I'm Josh Noble and this is News in Focus where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. Spiralling trade tensions have caused a wave of jitters across global markets this week after China allowed its currency to fall below 7 against the US dollar for the first time since May 2008. The move was seen as a significant escalation in China's dispute with Washington and prompted the US Treasury to label China a currency manipulator. Here with me to discuss this is Don Wineland, our Beijing financial correspondent, and Michael McKenzie, our senior investment commentator. Don, first, can you explain to us how the renminbi's managed float works and what the official rationale behind it is? China manages its currency on a daily trading band where the renminbi can appreciate or depreciate by 2% every day. At the start of trading every day, the central bank will set the currency at its reference rate The reference rate is not necessarily determined by market forces, so you still have a currency that is quite easy to manage. How has Beijing reacted to this US allegation that it's manipulating its currency? China never reacts positively to the allegations that it's a currency manipulator. Of course, this has been going on for well over a decade. There's really nothing new on this front here. Trump has been saying this, you know, long before he was president of the U.S. He's been accusing China of manipulating its currency. This time around, the PBOC, the central bank, said that China would not engage in competitive devaluation. So they've said that before. They'll probably say it again. What are the upsides and the risks for China of a weakening renminbi? There are some really clear upsides and downsides for having a weaker renminbi. So as the currency depreciates, Chinese goods will become cheaper for traders or any foreigners buying in U.S. dollars. That could give a boost to the manufacturing industry, which is already struggling from U.S. sanctions. So that's a clear upside. On the downsides, I think there's some pretty big downsides. The one that I would like to mention is the potential for capital flight. So if you're holding lots of Chinese yuan and you believe that it's going to fall further, you're going to want to move your money out of the country into U.S. dollars, into U.S. dollar-denominated assets. You don't want to hold the renminbi-denominated assets. So depending on the sentiment in China right now, there's definitely potential for an attempt to move lots of money offshore. The Chinese government, of course, doesn't like this. They will try their best to stop that. And they're often very successful. But I think Chinese people are also quite used to finding ways to move it overseas. So you could see even more pressure on the devaluation of the currency. Of course, people trying to move the currency overseas just adds to more devaluation of the yuan. You mentioned there could be pressure on the renminbi to fall. Do you think Beijing will be tempted to allow it to fall even further? I don't think the decision to allow the yuan to pass the seven to the dollar threshold is necessarily a political one or is really in the long term in the benefit of Beijing policymakers. The currency has been floating around in this area for a long time and I don't think China has that much to gain from pushing down the value of the yuan further. I think what we've seen now is probably relatively normal. It's just There's a lot of focus on this right now because the seven to the dollar mark is kind of a critical psychological threshold. So what does this tell us about the prospects for a resolution to the US-China trade dispute? 
even if this isn't a political move from China, it's still relevant to the dispute because clearly the U.S. administration and Donald Trump believe that China is manipulating its currency. And if it views China as a currency manipulator, it could enforce more sanctions. Really, I mean, one way for this to be viewed is actually China allowing more market forces to dictate the price of the yuan. China's economy is decelerating. Therefore, the currency should weaken. Allowing it to weaken right now could very well be interpreted as allowing market forces into the exchange market. So I don't think this necessarily needs to be viewed as a political decision, but it certainly will be from the U.S., So, Mike, this issue over whether or not China manipulates its currency has been bubbling along for a while. The US has officially labelled it a currency manipulator. Do you think it's a fair assessment? No, I think the Treasury in May released its latest semi-annual report and at the time did not label China as a currency manipulator. Clearly, this is got to be viewed in the context of the bigger struggle between China and the US, and that's over trade, technology, and commercial supremacy. And this is a long-running battle that's going to continue to run for some time. I think what has prompted the US Treasury to label China as a currency manipulator, though, is that they're just worried that as you get this tit-for-tat escalation going on between the two countries, there is a danger that things do spiral out of control, and that markets really will take this badly. So I think it was a shot across the bowels for China, just as China allowing the renminbi to move beyond seven per dollar was also a shot across the bowels from Beijing. So I think at that point, you've just got to sit back and hope that things do settle down and that karma heads prevail. However, as markets have shown this week, there is a lot of anxiety amongst some investors and across global markets in general. Just talk us through the impact it's had on global markets. Why does this one exchange rate have so much power? Because China is clearly a dominant industrial and export machine. And one of the reasons why the latest industrial figures for Germany on Wednesday fell sharply, more sharply than expected, was because clearly the Eurozone is suffering from falling demand in China. If you look at currency markets in general, Asian currencies and LATAM currencies are very strongly linked to the performance of the renminbi. So what's been interesting in recent years, of course, is that China has been spending billions of dollars of their reserves to stop the renminbi from weakening even more. So yes, you could say they've been manipulating the currency, but they've been manipulating the currency in a way not to create broader market turmoil and to prevent the currency from weakening sharply against the dollar. So the market reaction now is becoming one of growing anxiety. And indeed, today, we've seen three central banks in the Asia region and Pacific region, New Zealand, Thailand and India, all cut their interest rates. So the bigger concern here is that you're seeing the global economy slowing down. You're starting to see currencies acting as release valves to help economies deal with slowing conditions. And there's this sort of worry here that there's a race to the bottom going on when you look at the way global bond yields are falling and hitting new lows. And currencies are also weakening as well. And of course, that just leaves one currency to stand out alone, and that's the United States dollar. And this is why it's only fanning the criticism that you're going to hear from the White House and from the Trump administration that the dollar's too strong. Do you think that's an accurate worry of Washington? Is the dollar too strong? Is there anything to do about it? Well, certainly the dollar, when you look on a trade-weighted basis, if you take the Federal Reserve's trade-weighted measure of the dollar, it's certainly strong and it's certainly picked up. But again, you've got to sit back and look at the fact that US interest rates are much higher than most of their trading rivals. The US economy is still growing you know, at a relative robust pace compared to the rest of the world. So you are going to see 
the dollar stand out. Also, in times of growing market uncertainty, people look at the Swiss franc and the yen as being your sort of classic havens in currencies. But when people really get worried, they go and buy the US dollar. And this is what we saw in 2008 during the financial crisis. You just saw a switch away towards the dollar. And also at the moment, you're seeing gold doing very, very well. This all feeds into the sort of general background hum of worries that a global recession is on its way. Is this dispute over the currency, is this the kind of thing that could be the straw that broke the camel's back? Could this have a sort of serious knock-on effect and push things just over the edge? Potentially. And I think the trade dispute between the US and China has been playing out for 18 months. So in the last 18 months, you've seen a, a regular pattern of escalation and then retreat from both sides. We have trade talks set to resume in September. Central banks are meeting at Jackson Hole for their annual symposium at the end of August. So you'll probably hear more soothing words from the central banks. I promises that they'll ease more than they have signaled before. However, bond markets have already done a lot of easing for them. So it's really a case central banks just catching up to what the bond markets are saying. I think a recession at the moment is still seen as a low risk, i.e. a tail risk for the markets. But again, it is quite stunning how this growing trade dispute has really slowed down the economy. And there were two basic assumptions here at the beginning of this year, which helped equities globally recover so strongly as they did. That was that there would be a trade deal. And if you think back to January, we were expecting a trade deal in April, and then it was kicked to May. And of course, that was all torn up when Donald Trump started tweeting in early May and triggered another equity sell-off. The second assumption, of course, was that China was going to do lots more stimulus, and that would somehow lift global demand. Now, a weaker RMB helps stimulate the Chinese economy. But the bigger issue, I think, and that's what investors really are beginning to realise, is that the old days where China just goes out and spends lots and lots of money and pumps up the global economy as a result are over. You only have to look at China's car market and see how sales are really falling to see that something is changing in China. They already have a lot of debt. They did all the heavy lifting back in 2009. They did it again in 2016. There are limits to a debt fueled growth strategy. And that's what China's also recognising. I mean, this issue with the renminbi, it's kind of a reminder of one of the tools that Beijing has in its arsenal in this trade dispute. Where we are now, do you get a sense of who's got the upper hand between the US and China and trying to sort of force the other one to compromise? Well, this is the scary thing, because there is this feeling that both US and China have time on their side. Both have central banks that can ease interest rates fairly substantially from here. The US could at some point undertake renewed quantitative easing. China at some point could also do the same. And that's a worry because it leaves the global economy as a hostage looking on as these two just go hammer and tongs. I'm not particularly optimistic given that both Republicans and Democrats in the US think bashing China is a good thing. And we're only just over a year out from the next election cycle in the US. This is clearly what President Trump's going to be running on as part of his re-election strategy. And it's also going to be something that the Democrats are going to be running on as well. So ultimately, it's going to take something like a really big market shock to sort of force both sides to wake up and smell the coffee and come back to the negotiating table. But frankly, if you look at the terms of the rivalry between the US and China, it's just not about trade. It really covers all the bases. Technology, the role of the US Navy and the Chinese Navy in the Pacific, this is an entrenched rivalry. It's not going away. And investors are going to have to get used to that. So time to buckle up. Time to buckle up. The game plan over the last 18 months is that whenever there's been a big sell off in equities, that's been a buying opportunity. And there's plenty of people waiting for that to happen again and are ready to go. But at some point, 
if things get too hot between the US and China, you could see a very substantial market correction. And then hopefully sanity, cool heads prevail. And again, I think a lot of people in the market still think the US ultimately is the one that will cede ground because Donald Trump needs to get re-elected. And he really puts a lot of his re-election chances on the fact that the S&P and the Dow Jones index are riding high. And that's the other thing. If you look at both the S&P and the Chinese stock market, they're still up double-digit gains for the year to date. So I think this probably has more room to run before you get to that moment where the two sides go, OK, time for some detente. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Don, and thank you for listening. Hi, this is Griselda Murray-Brown. I'm the co-host of a new podcast from the Financial Times called Culture Call. From the 13th of August, we're going to be dropping into your podcast feeds every other Tuesday, bringing you encounters with those who are shifting culture around the world. We'll have lively discussions on how the social changes we're seeing are depicted in books, art, music, on screen and online. And we'll give you a glimpse behind the scenes of the best of the FT's life and arts journalism. You can find the podcast in all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify and Acast, when Culture Call drops on Tuesday the 13th of August.